That's good choir practice. Y'all are the choir. You know that, right? You may be seated. That's right. Woo. Romans chapter 12. You'll turn there. We're in the middle of a study of the book of Romans. We have finished the first section, which is the mercies of God. In verses chapters 1 uh, through 11, we've started the living sacrifice portion, chapter 12 and following. How does the gospel shape us? Coming to faith in Christ, being born again, having new hearts and the power of the Spirit at work in us. What should that look like in our lives? And that's what we've begun to see as we're looking in the book of Romans. But in chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and read to verse 13. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. We'll stop right there this morning. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We look to you. Take your word, plant it in our hearts, make us more like Christ. Help me to preach it in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit, loving it and through it, loving you and seeking to live in your light revealed in your word. So bless the preaching and the hearing of the word of God. Convert and sanctify people, your people. Do a mighty work that only you can do. We give you all the praise and ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Some of you may remember this song. O Lord, take your plow to my fallowed ground. Let your blade dig down to the soil of my soul. For I've become dry and dusty, Lord. I know there must be richer earth. Lying below. For I've been living in Laodicea. And the fire that once burned bright, I've let it grow dim. And the very word I swore that I would die for has been forgotten 
as the world has become my friend. That's Living in Laodicea by Steve Kemp just a couple of years ago, 1984. But living, he's using living in Laodicea there as a metaphor for spiritual coldness that comes when we are not being transformed by the Word, when we are letting the world lead the way and we're being conformed to the, to the things of this world. And spiritual coldness coming from friendship with the world. We're slipping into an earthly mold. We're returning to a self-centered mind. And one of the results of living in Laodicea is that our love grows cold. Love for the Lord and our love for one another. So we've been in the midst. We're going to talk about love for the Lord and love for one another this morning. But a little bit of review. We've been in the midst of a study in Romans. Paul has shown us that everyone on planet Earth, everyone ever born since Adam is lost and need a Savior. Jew, Gentile, none are good. None are righteous. None seek the Lord apart from the Lord's work of grace. We are all sinners who fall short and need a Savior. Big point. We are not our Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior, and a Savior has come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived to provide a perfect righteousness for us and died to pay the penalty for our sins and was raised the third day, proving it all true. So through faith in Him, we could be justified. What does that mean, being justified? It means God declaring us righteous on the basis of His Son's atonement and His Son's life on our behalf. That we are pardoned and accepted as righteous only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And then we saw a section on sanctification that God calls us to grow in grace and He's empowered us for that. And He's given us a new heart and He's given us the power of the Spirit and He's broken the rule of sin over us so that we might live this new life of growing Christ-likeness. And then we get to look, dig into the depths of our salvation. We see His sovereign mercy in chapters 9 through 11. As He's chosen a people from the Jews and the Gentiles and sent His Son to save them. He's working out redemption so that they will be a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language around His throne, praising Him for His salvation. And then in chapter 12, we begin thinking about, okay, so the gospel's true. Christ is the Son of God. Christ has redeemed me. He paid the penalty for my sins in full. It is finished. He credits to me or imputes to me His righteousness so that now before the throne of God and His judgment bar, it's not just as though I never sinned, but it's as though I always obeyed because I have a perfect righteousness credited to my account. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. I'm a child of God. Okay, now what should my life look like? All excuses removed because I have the very Word of God and the Spirit of God working in me. So Paul says this, that he appeals to us to be a living sacrifice, to be a sacrifice to God. And what does that look like? Well, it's a holy and acceptable sacrifice that is being transformed by His Word. Therefore, it makes us humble so that we use our gifts in service to others. That's a really short summary of verses 1 through 8. What he calls us to, we saw last time, is a genuine love that abhors evil and holds fast to all that is good. Still somewhat of a summary statement, and we're beginning to dig in a little more this morning. 
So what, because the gospel is true, because I'm a child of God, what am I called to and empowered for and changed to do? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning in verse 10. We're empowered to love one another. And he tells us what that love looks like. So I titled, I titled this sermon, we're only going to look at verse 10, and we have communion later in the service. No, that doesn't mean the sermon will be shorter. But, <laughs> but from verse 10, I titled this sermon, Living in Philadelphia. What is, what is the difference between living in Laodicea and living in Philadelphia? We'll talk about that. But the main point is this, love genuinely. Picking up, seeing the connection between verse 9 and verse 10. Love genuinely by seeing the church as your family. And then outdoing one another in showing honor. First point, love genuinely by seeing the church as your family. Look back at the first part of verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. We've got some words stacked up here and the translations kind of struggle with them. We've got two words here talking about love, family love, brotherly love, put together here in one little part of one verse. But the first part, look what how the ESV does it anyway. Love one another. The, the word used here for this, what they've translated love one another is, is only used one time in the New Testament. And it's right here. And it's used for love uh, that uh, is described by tender affection, such as the analogy of which would be think of think of the love between parents and their children. And listen, just I'll give this note of warning now and you, you just remember it. When I say think of the love between parents and their children, I'm talking about healthy love. Not all of us grew up in a, in a healthy environment and we struggle to accept God as Father because we had a bad father. Or uh, Don't import all of that into. Look to Jesus if you want to know the kind of love we're talking about. But this is healthy love, not dysfunctional, what we call dysfunctional love. This is healthy love between parents and a children. And you know what kind of love that is once that child is born and you see that child and what God works in your heart. So this is talking about that kind of love, that, 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 that family love, that, that devoted love, that love that would do anything for that little person. And then as children grow up, you know, they would do anything for you. They want to be like you. They, they all of, be with you, all of those things. So this family love is what we're called to. And then the other word is where I got my title. The other word is a, is a word for brotherly affection. Anybody? It's Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia. You ever heard the city of brotherly love? Not sure how well that city fulfills that term but this is a technical term for for it refers to love for a fellow believer it refers to the love which Christ, in which Christians cherish cherish each other as family so we are to be devoted to one another. We're to have this family love for one another such that we see one another as family. We treat one another the way a healthy family treats one another. 
and even greater. We have a strong family affection for one another, a tender affection. The New American Standard takes this verse and says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Look at me. Be recalibrated. Be reminded. The church is your family. Let your mind be transformed. Let your mind be called back to this, out of this Laodicean mindset, this coldness that where we just see each other as friends and acquaintances or maybe people we don't even want to hang around with. See, one of the disasters of the seeker-sensitive movement, and you can tell I'm affectionate towards it, is that it's turned church into entertainment. It's turned us into just, just a group that's come together for such entertainment. No, no, no. This is your family. Look around. A little bit of a disadvantage to the overflow room. You can walk to the door and look around if you want to. You have some family out there, but we're all one, remember. Look around. This is your family. Yeah, family irritates one another sometimes. And that's why God commands us to be forgiving. We have been forgiven, so we're to be forgiving. But this is your family. Do you think of these people that way? These people are my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. That will change the way we treat one another. The gospel doesn't just make friends. It makes family. You might say, I don't want to be that close. I don't care. Nor does God. He saved you to be part of this one body, which is one family in Christ. Yes, you'll have to work out difficulties. Yes, you'll have to challenge some people sometimes or be challenged or, you know, forgive or be patient or, you know, not be quick to write people off. Be very slow to separate. This is your family. And it's the kind of family you were created to have. Think about this. Just as you were physically born into a physical family, you've been spiritually reborn into a spiritual family. Now, I don't know about you, but this will freshly challenge me this week. Because we can get our head down, we can get busy, we can have trials coming at us, and we just forget things like this. People in your family. Family that we are to be serious about. Peter says this. This is why we were born again. Peter says in one in chapter one, twenty two and twenty three, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth of the gospel, for for a sincere brotherly love. There's our word. Love one another earnestly. From a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. We need to love each other with a sincerity and a tenderness that is present in the nearest of family relatives and beyond. It's hard to imagine and it's hard to do, but you'll pray into it. God will work it in you. 
Did you first see that little baby thing? No way I could love him. Jeff, more than I love this little child. Or even as much. See, that's where you, you don't ever say the gospel is impossible about anything because the Holy Spirit's at work. The same power that raised Christ, that flung the stars in the is at work. Is at work in you. But we need instruction on this kind of love. What does it look like? Well, Jesus' example. Nobody has done this. Nobody has been devoted in brotherly love like Jesus. We've seen that in the first 11 chapters. We get a little bit of a reminder this morning. But our memory verse again. Jesus defines the love we're to have for one another. Look at it. In John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. There's nothing new about us being commanded to love one another. Here's the new part. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this kind of love, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have this kind of love. What's he saying there? My disciples have this kind of love for one another. My disciples have this kind of love for one another. Yes, it grows, it, it, it starts and it grows as it goes through life. But if you're a healthy Christian and not living in Laodicea, you've got, you have this kind of love in your heart for your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're growing in it. Look at this in, in Mark three thirty one to 35. And it's happened before. Jesus has been surrounded by crowds and his family doesn't get it. Just remember, have mercy on his family. They didn't get the suffering servant any more than the rest of the people did at that time. This is not what he's supposed to be doing. So they've thought he's out of his mind. You've heard that before in a different text. But look at this one. Mark 33, 31 to 35. His mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, now watch this. Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them. Nobody loved his mother, brothers, any like Jesus, right? But look what he says. Who are my mother and my brothers? And then looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For who, look at this, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, my mother. I'm in the midst of my mothers and brothers and sisters and family. That can be a bit, I mean, a lot of things Jesus says can be a bit shocking, right? If you don't hate your own family, you cannot be my disciple. He's not telling us to hate our family. It's a comparison and hyperbole there. We are to love him more than our family. And that will help us love our family the way we're supposed to and our brothers and sisters. So brotherly love, the love that we're called to and the love that the Lord shapes in us is a family love. It's loving one another the way Jesus has loved us. And just think about that. That, that, that afresh kind of blew my mind. Just Jesus sees us as his brothers and his sisters and his mothers, as his family. That's how Jesus sees us. 
Hebrews talks about he with his brothers in chapter 2. I don't have time for that. But listen, what we're saying is this loving one another with brotherly affection is loving one another the way Jesus has loved us. He's blazed the trail. Now we're to follow him in it and have this kind of self-sacrificial love that he has had for us. And we, we stink at this so often, don't we? Somebody will do something that rubs us the wrong way and we'll just say, done with you. Because our eyes are on us, not on Jesus. We will struggle to forgive. We're commanded. We have been forgiven in Christ. Therefore, we are to forgive. There is no excuse for not doing it. You're empowered for it. He's with you in it. You are to forgive like you've been forgiven. And an unforgiving spirit, listen to me, an unforgiving spirit reveals a heart that doesn't know Jesus. Read your New Testament. Some of you are justifying it. Don't justify it. Be scared to death by it. We are to love one another as family like Jesus has loved us. And listen, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys... We're good at that, but we all need to grow in it. Some of us haven't had that mindset on, though. We don't come in here on a Sunday morning and look around and go, family. We might have our own little inner circle that we think of closer that way. You know what that's called? A clique. Not a good thing. I mean, it's, it's good to have close friends around you, but if you just stay there, it's not a good thing. So, point one, love genuinely by seeing the church as your family. And if you really do see it that way, that's going to change so much. Number two, kind of what does that look like? Look at the second part of the verse. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love genuinely by outdoing one another in showing honor. Being loved the way we've talked about by Jesus brings a responsibility into my life to outdo you in showing honor. I love, I love that word, outdo. It's so snappy, right? Outdo. Do better. Be first. Outdo one another. It really means, and you'll see translations handle that differently. It means take the lead. Take the initiative. It means for you to exhibit a, a behavior that's far above the norm. Remember, living in Philadelphia is living like Jesus in the power of the Spirit according to the Word of God as family. Not just acquaintances. To li- You know, I say this all the time, to live as Christ, right? What do I mean by that? Well, first we find life in Christ, eternal life through faith in Him. And then we seek in the power of the Spirit to live like Christ. But all the time we're living that way, we're knowing that He has taken care of our sins, so we're children of God. And so to die is gain is not an exhortation to die. It's an exhortation to live because when you're ready to face death, then you're ready to live. And one of the things to live as Christ means is to excel at being last. To be an eager servant that excels in being at last, that doesn't wait, but dives in. That outdoes its brother and sister in loving service. We don't wait for them to deserve it. 
We don't take a pound of flesh. We don't see them as just acquaintances. If you really know Jesus, we'll outdo one another by showing honor, which means we will excel. We will do exceedingly at being last. He who is first, but he who is last, humility. It's the humility we've already talked about. The gospel should produce a humility in me that makes me joyful to be your servant. If I'm just looking for you to serve me, I don't get the gospel. If I'm disappointed because you didn't come to me, I'm not getting the gospel. I'm not exceeding in being last. That's why y'all have heard me say this before. I don't like this thing that goes around. I am second. You are not second. You are last. Whatever the list is. Jesus was willing to be last so that you would be last. Willingly. Joyfully. To show honor. What does that mean? We need definition, don't we? Outdo one another in showing honor. That means this. And if you, if you go read commentaries and you go listen to sermons and you go search around, you'll find a whole lot of definitions for what, what it means to honor. And the Scripture does use that word in very different ways. Honoring father and mother. Honoring the Lord. Honoring the emperor. All that kind of stuff. But when we're talking about interrelationships in the church, use a definition like this that... It says, what does it mean to honor? It means to give the due respect or assign the proper worth of another person. To give the proper respect to another person and or assign the proper worth, worth of that other person according to how you feel. According to what God has commanded. We've already seen this in the humility sermon. What's my attitude to be towards your significance? I am to consider you better than me. Not just to attend to my own needs, but to yours as well. To be one who gives you the due respect that God has commanded and assigns the proper worth that God has commanded. To see you as more worth more than me in my eyes. Honor, listen, honor others by not being self-first. And we get caught in that all the time. That's a big category, isn't it? Honor others by not being self-first, by considering others more important, by sacrificing for others, by forgiving others quickly because Jesus deserves it, not because they do, by serving them and listening to them and encouraging them and valuing them highly, thinking well of them, speaking well of them, and serving them well. See, this is what reveals a new heart. This is what reveals that family heart that Christ works in those that He saves. If we really get the first part of this verse right, love one another with brotherly affection, seeing the church as our family, being devoted to one another as family, then we're going to stumble all over ourselves doing the second one. And I mean out of effort. See, if we get the first part of the verse and if we really get the gospel, this this second part, it flows. Now, it has to grow. We do have to grow in it, but it flows. But we have no encouragement and no justification for being self-centered in any way in the church. 
take care of number one is worldly philosophy, not Jesus philosophy. I don't even remember the title of that book. Girl, wash your hair or something. Girl, wash your mouth. Be the, you hear stuff like, be the hero of your own story. I have a Greek word for that. You've heard it many times. Hogwash. If you're the hero of your own story, you're following Satan and not Jesus. I don't know how to be any clearer than that. If he's your homeboy, do your thing, but I wouldn't advise it. If we get the first part of this verse and see the church's family, we are intentionally kind. We defer to one another. We seek to encourage and build one another. Here's the big point. We don't wait on others to honor us first. We lead the way. That's what that word outdo means. Lead the way. Lead the way in serving others. What is the golden rule? Not the way Opie said it, right, in the Andy Griffith show. Do unto others as they do unto you. Joey did it to me, now I'm doing it to him. No, I don't remember the kids' names, but that was in there. The Luke 6.31. Now watch this. Again, this assumes thinking rightly. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Take the lead in doing to others what you want them to do to you. We, we in the church get caught, don't we? And we default into this thing where we give others what they give us. I'm only going to give you what you deserve. You don't deserve for me to love you or forgive you or, or be kind to you, so I'm not going to do it. That's a hellish mindset. That's a natural man mindset. That's a lost person's mindset. Because my eyes are to be fixed on Jesus. And if my eyes are fixed on Jesus, then I can outdo you or try to. And I can love my enemies. We're going to talk about that later. Because Jesus deserves it and commands me to. How else could Corey Ten Boom forgive that German soldier? Did he deserve it? No. Jesus says, how do you want others to treat you? You take the lead in treating them that way. Take the lead. Be last. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Listen, especially believers. Because Jesus tells us to love the way He's loved. You do it first. Don't wait on others to treat you well before you treat them well. Listen, if you want close relationships in the church and you wait on others to come to you, you're probably going to be lonely. Because a lot of the times when we're in that mode, we have this unapproachable look on our face, don't we? We're not acting friendly. So, I mean, people are like, yeah, I don't know. What's... Mm. Now, should they take the lead? Of course. But we all have the responsibility to do that. I heard it said, if you, if you go out to be a friend, you'll find friends everywhere. Honor one another by seeking each other out and seeking to get to know one another. And that's what, you know, as we're doing these prayer meetings in the fall and not having grace group, do that on your own. Invite people over to your house for fellowship and meals. And listen to me, 
not just your close friends. Do it with people you don't know in the church. Take the lead. Step out. Be like Jesus. You go first. Lead the way. Honor one another by seeking each other out and seek to get to know one another. Today we have a great opportunity for that. Fellowship meal. When we eat together today, don't go sit with the same people you sit with all the time. Go to somebody you don't know. And strike up a conversation. Well, I'm not good at striking up conversations. It don't matter. Just say something. Hey, how are you? Tell me something. How's your family? Tell me something about your job. You know, and get it to Christ. What are, what are we learning in Christ? See, we sit with the people we're comfortable with, and it's comfortable that way. And we just do that. And listen, as hard as it is, because I am one, introverts, no excuse. Your introversion doesn't define you. The gospel defines you. Christ has empowered you for this. Some of us just kind of, we come and do our thing and then we want to be left alone. That's not brotherly and sisterly love. If you really see the church as your family, you will hear Jesus saying, outdo one another. Make the first move. Seek closeness. Listen to one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. Because we're family. Outdo one another in showing honor. Why? Well, yes, He commands us to do it. But why? He has done that. He, that's the way we've been treated. Jesus, what is His two words when He's calling His disciples to Himself? He goes around and He says, follow me. Follow Him in this kind of love. Look, if you're a Christian, this is how Christ has treated you. He has taken the lead. He came to save His enemies, which was you outside of Christ. We were sinners who deserve wrath, yet He came to save us. Jesus took the initiative. He blazed the trail. He came to save His enemies. To make the sinners who deserve wrath His family. And now He expects us to follow Him in that. Christ came to live for us. And He fulfilled all righteousness, keeping His law. He came to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. Yes, the crucifixion was physically horrible, but it was nothing compared to the spiritual suffering He went through. He drank the cup of God's wrath, do our sin, dry while on that cross. Being the God-man, He could finish it. He was under the power of death for a time, and the third day he rose from the grave, proving he is Lord of heaven and earth, proving it all true. The gospel is true. So he took the lead in showing you honor so that you would take the lead in showing one another honor. So follow him. That genuine love we talked about in verse 9 sees the church as family and seeks to be first to honor your brothers and sisters. So just quick application. We'll move towards Lord's Supper. Look at yourself. You've heard me, these sort of metaphors used. Are you living in Laodicea or Philadelphia? And what do you have to do to transition citizenship? 
Do you see the church as your family? If not, if they're just acquaintances, if they're just at best friends and acquaintances, we're still over in Laodicea. We're, we're living in a spiritual coldness or lostness. Not sure which. Can you say with Jesus and look around and it be coming from your heart? Here, these are my mother and my father, my brother, my sisters. This is my family that I'm willing to die for. I'm willing to outdo to show honor. Repentance starts with a transformed mind. Or a remindedly transformed mind. And I hope you've been reminded as I have this week. To see one another differently. To see one another more deeply. To see one another as family. That you would die for. And that you are striving to outdo one another. In this selfless service. That looks like Jesus. My second question are, what are the things in, what are some things in your life that would change if you took this seriously? Starting with the heart. Put praying into and plowing into with this verse and others, seeing the church's family. Because all good living flows from good theology. Not the other way around. From the heart out. Strive and stretch and outdo to see this is family and this is willing to die for. Listen to me. So many of us, this is so much. If you ever do biblical counseling, this is so much of it. Stop waiting on others to take the initiative. Man, I can't tell you how many times that couples have sat down in front of me or one or half of the couple and said, Well, when they do, I will. And I'm like, no, your eyes are in the wrong place. You are your worst enemy. Look to Jesus and do what he commands you to do. Trust him with this situation over here. Are you, are you waiting on others to take the initiative? If so, you need to change that. As soon as somebody forgives you, uh, sins against you in the church, in your heart there's to be forgiveness because Christ has forgiven you that way. And then... It, you might imagine, they may not even know they've offended you. So you have a responsibility to go to them and, and lovingly, not lovingly. That offended me. When you, and then when somebody comes to you with that, then you repent of it. You don't justify it. You repent of it. But listen to me. Please stop waiting on others to take the initiative. Why? Because Jesus has already done that. He has taken the initiative. He deserves you to live for Him. You live according to His commands because He, remember, He's purchased you. You now belong to Him. Miserable life is eyes focused on and waiting on others when life can be about Christ. So if you really take this seriously, you'll see the church's family. You'll stop waiting on others to take the initiative. There are more applications than this. And you will begin to outdo one another in showing honor. You'll have eyes out instead of eyes in. You'll have on gospel glasses that helps you see others the way Christ sees them. So that you will strive to outdo them and all of the rest of us 
in assigning the worth, seeing them as better than yourself, and the dignity that is theirs as not just created in the image of God, but redeemed by Christ. My life laid down in a persistent, never giving up, seeking to be last, because Christ has done so for me. Main point, transition to the Lord's Supper. Love genuinely by seeing the church as your family and outdoing one another in showing honor because Christ has done that for you. So cry out afresh to the Lord to plow up your heart, to turn over the dry and dusty soul, to deliver you from a cold life in Laodicea and transform you to truly living a warm-hearted life in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The church, the true and greater city of brotherly love. And then don't miss the last part of what Jesus says. And in this way, you will prove to be his disciples because his disciples love one another like family. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, these are convicting things. These are things that where we get in touch with our weakness and we see how far short we fall. So help us to first and foremost run to your throne of grace. For your children, your throne is a throne of grace. We can run to it and find mercy and help in our time of need. We can be empowered to love for your sake, to forgive for your sake, to strive to be last for your sake, to outdo one another in showing honor and trust you with the results. And not fear. Lord, I pray that your spirit will work powerfully in us this morning, that we will look around this room and at our brothers and sisters in Christ and see family. Family that we would die for. Family that we'll take the initiative with. Family that we're willing to be last for. Family that we are willing to be like you, Lord Jesus, for. Work in us this kind of genuine love that hates evil, clings to what is good, that is devoted to brotherly love with one another and therefore outdoes each other in showing honor. Patient with one another. Quick to forgive. Bearing with one another. Letting love cover a ton. Striving arm in arm for the gospel. We have a mission To accomplish on this earth. To take your gospel to the ends of the earth. And one of the strategies the evil one uses against us is divide and conquer. Gets our guns aimed at one another. Instead of out with the gospel. So bring us a fresh unity. Not that we've been struggling. We haven't. Bring us a fresh honoring of you and one another. A renewed first love a family love a one body love that sees ourselves as members of one another and humbly serves one another please help us to outdo one another in showing honor because you have done that for us So convert, Lord, the lost that don't know you. 
sanctify the saved that do know you. We all need to grow, Lord. None of us is perfectly here, but we shouldn't use that to justify slackness. Help us to press into being what you call us to be because of your mercies that we've studied in chapters 1 through 11. Make us the living sacrifices that you call us to be. Work in us the holiness, the righteousness that looks more and more like our Savior. We pray it all in Jesus' holy name.